Welcome to the show. We're ready to go. What are you doing? You're listening. Good. Stick around. We need you. John Scholes here. Chris Justice, arguably the best name for a lawyer ever, and also part of San Fury to Market LLP. You want to reach out to Chris anytime when we're not doing this half hour of AM radio. You want to go to 1 821 5900 to reach Chris's team. 1 821 5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website Pocket Employment Lawyer. That'll work uh, as well to reach out. A couple things we want to discuss over the next half hour. Number one, starting a new job, top things to consider. And if we have time in between everything else, topic two will be termination for cause. But, Chris, we always start off with a uh, case of the day or some something in the news or week that was. What do you got, brother? Yeah, so today I thought I was, uh, I figured I would talk about a news, a story in the news recently nice. involving David's Bridal which is one of the largest seller of wedding gowns in North America. They recently uh, declared, or at least are filing for creditor protection after having declared bankruptcy. And uh, this is actually something I think we've seen a lot of in fairly recent days. You've got uh, Nordstrom, you've got Sears before that, Toys R Us. So a lot of these uh, companies, unfortunately, are going bankrupt, or at least filing for bankruptcy. And I thought... It'd be good to sort of discuss how exactly that impacts uh, someone's employment, you know, maybe someone who's been there for a long time, uh, whether they're owed severance or not. Uh, typically, non-unionized employees uh, are, of course, going to be entitled to severance if they've been let go without cause and lose their job, and that can normally be as much as 24 months of pay. Um, and so an employee would still be entitled to severance pay if a business closes its doors permanently but doesn't declare bankruptcy maybe right. in the way that some of these companies or corporations have. And so in the event that a company does file for bankruptcy protection, uh, those employees who are laid off or who have been let go, they're going to have that uh, struggle, I think, to collect severance pay. And, and the reason for that is because when there is a filing for bankruptcy and there's a there's an employee who's been say there for a while or for any period of time that's looking for severance um, they have to then file a claim with the bankruptcy trustee and then it goes into the trustees hands and they sort of determine where in the line of creditors you would fall mm-hmm. and unfortunately in terms of that line or, or that sort of order of creditors those who are secured creditors are going to be the ones uh, that typically receive the funds first yes. um, in terms of what's distributed by the trustee. So people like banks, you know, uh, those are going to be near the top of the list. And again, unfortunately for employees looking for severance, they would be typically deemed to be an unsecured creditor. And so they would fall near the bottom of that uh, list of people or that hierarchy or priority list. And so the question oftentimes in these cases will be, you know, when all is said and done, when these secured creditors are paid off in full, if they are, and then we get to the unsecured creditors, which would include these employees who lost their job uh, as a result of the business going uh, out of business, that is. Um, the question is whether they'll actually get something at the end of it, whether there's going to be money there. And if there is money, then again, it'll come back to the trustee who will determine sort of what gets uh, distributed. Um, you know, you're definitely looking at a certain number of cents on the dollar, but it can definitely be tricky, you know, and, and uh, of course, I'm simplifying everything here. When it comes to bankruptcy and solvency, there is a pretty complex process. Um, but I thought it would be important to bring up because, as I say, we've seen it a lot in the news recently. And um, But not to say that people are necessarily without doubt. 
um, or, or options, they definitely should be contacting a lawyer to get some advice to, to figure out what exactly their options are and what their entitlements can be. So it's different as opposed to, you know, either a big company or a mom and pop shop saying, ah, you know what, I've had enough of this, I'm going to retire, I'm just going to shut her down. For no other reason, they just want to shut down the business. That's different. Then you get something, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So uh, like I say, there are definitely situations where businesses close up shop, shut the doors um, on a permanent basis, and they're not going to be reopening, but where there isn't that filing for bankruptcy or creditor protection. And just because you've been at a company for a long time and then you're told somebody's retiring or picking up their bags and going absolutely does not mean that you are disentitled to severance. Uh, in most of those cases, um, again, as long as there's not that declaration that's made, and obviously depending on what happens from that point on, but in most of those cases, you're still going to be owed your full severance. And as I say, it could be upwards of 24 months pay, depending on the individual. Again, emails and phone calls, emails right here and now. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll begin into our uh, first topic of the night before we take a quick break, and that is starting a new job. Top things to consider. First one is carefully review your new employment agreement for potentially detrimental clauses. Big time. Break that down a bit for me, pal. Yeah, it, it never, uh, you know, sort of uh, becomes less important. So often I talk about contracts, about employment agreements, about how important it is to yep. review those agreements. And frankly, this applies to whether you're starting a new job or maybe you've already started a new job and you're, and you're wanting to look back at the employment agreement. There's going to be uh, certain areas or sections of that agreement that you're going to want to focus on. Uh, one thing I often talk about has to do with termination clauses, of course. So any kind of section in the contract that attempts to limit your rights in the event there's a termination. Um, I've mentioned already that there's a potential for individuals to get upwards of two years of severance, but if you end up signing an employment contract that has a, a section in it dealing with termination and dealing with your rights upon termination, uh, there's a good chance that it's trying to limit those rights. Um, it may not necessarily uh, succeed in limiting those rights, but depending on how that clause is worded or how that section of your contract's worded, you could literally be looking at the difference between 24 months and just eight weeks of severance if you're a long service employee in certain situations. So reviewing that termination clause is absolutely essential because it could be in the difference of thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on who you are. And other clauses that I think people need to look out for or be mindful of when looking at these contracts would be things like a non-competition or non-solicitation clause. Yep. Now, recently Ontario has banned the use of these clauses or at least non-competition clauses because they, uh, the law and the courts don't like um, clauses that put a restraint on someone's ability to find work after they've been let go. Um, but there are still circumstances, especially for existing employees um, who may have signed a contract um, that predates this ban, that, that the clauses could have some effect. So you want to be mindful of that. You want to figure out how long are these clauses in effect for. And sometimes I see that non-solicitation clauses are actually non-competition clauses in disguise. So it's going to take oftentimes a lawyer to review it in good detail and give you kind of the proper advice when it comes to those kinds of things. And then uh, the only other thing I'll mention off the top has to just do with compensation, someone's remuneration package. You want to make sure you understand how you're being compensated because I think a lot of times it's one thing for a contract to say you're entitled to a $50,000 base salary, 
But then you've got other aspects like bonuses, which, you know, you might have to meet certain thresholds or metrics. And a lot of times these bonus plans are worded very ambiguously or maybe not even worded like to that degree at all. And you're not quite sure how you get your bonus. And then later on, after you've signed your contract, you're trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, you know, I think I'm entitled to all this money. But then you go back and look at the bonus plan and it's completely vague, ambiguous. There's no idea of how you're supposed to reach certain targets. And that could make it more challenging for you to establish kind of a case um, in terms of your bonus entitlements. After this short break, we'll continue with our topic as well. Bill, stand by. We're going to get to you after the break. Employment Law Show, stand by. And welcome back to it. Yeah, good to have you here. It's uh, Schools and along with Chris Justice and Fury Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Reach out when the show's done anytime. Encouraged to do so. Do not hesitate to get the answers. 1-855-821-5900-HELP at employmentlawyer.ca. Got uh, Bill standing by patiently. This should be an interesting call. Bill, <clears throat> tell us what's going on, pal. I got a buddy of mine who was working for a company for about 10 years, and he recently got fired. He, uh, would you say he was he was stepping out with the owner's wife? Oh boy! Yeah, and the owner found out, and the owner lost his mind. So he fired him right on the spot and just said, "You're you're not getting nothing." Like you know, so uh, but he's kind of worried. Like he's because this guy's like he he doesn't trust this guy. So uh, he was going to go to the Ministry of Labor. I said, "Don't go to the Ministry of Labor. You'll get nothing." So I said, oh, "I was going to call into the show and." You know. All right, Chris, what happens, buddy? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, when you say don't call the Ministry of Labor, labor you'll get nothing. Uh, I mean, you'll get maybe something, but it certainly won't be your potential maximum amount. Uh, I always tell people before they consider filing a complaint with the Ministry of Labor, especially if it has to do with you seeking severance of some sort, uh, talk to a lawyer first. Because once you sort of start the papers process going, you file the papers with the ministry, and then you find out, well, maybe they're only going to give you eight weeks when you could have got 24 months. It may be too late by that point to go back and and get that. So you definitely want to, uh, really in any case, as I say, where you're looking for severance, you want to be mindful that the Ministry of Labor is in all likelihood not going to be your best option. So definitely want to talk to a lawyer before that. And so I think in general that was the, uh, the right thing to say there. Um, but as far as the, the earlier thing, stepping out with the owner's wife, I mean, of course, if somebody is having some kind of an affair or messing around with somebody's wife, uh, especially behind their backs, they're not going to be happy by any means. And I can totally understand from one perspective why this owner, this individual would be very upset with what happened. However, that doesn't mean that you can let somebody go or fire somebody or, or have their employment be terminated and not pay them a dime. You know, this this may be or probably seems more like a case of somebody who's thinking more with emotions uh, than than anything, which, again, I, I guess you can understand from some perspective. But there's a difference between that and actually having grounds to terminate someone for cause and not provide them with uh, any severance. And I, I don't know if you, you cut off earlier there, Bill, but um, did you say how long this person had been working at that company? Oh, 10 years. Yeah. And, and the other thing to keep in mind too is that when you have a long service employee, um, the, the sort of the burden or the, the, the bar that the employer has to meet in order to establish they can let that person go without any compensation whatsoever is going to be very, uh, is going to be even higher than a shorter term service employee. Um, but I would definitely say have your friend give us a shout because in all likelihood he's entitled to some severance. 
though it may not be exactly easy given the circumstances. Well, it, yeah, it's uh, pretty um, interesting to say, you know, and uh, I and I know the I know the company works for. I know the guy, and the guy scares me. Right. I wouldn't. I said to him, I think he also needs to go see a lawyer. Do you guys do criminal? Uh, we do not do criminal. No, we can possibly refer you to someone, but yeah, I would still nonetheless have him give us a shout because. Uh, again, there's, uh, I mean, as long as it's not conflicting with his ability to do his job or breaching some fundamental term of his employment, um, which this is sort of in a different ballpark for the most part, uh, he's going to be looking at severance likely. Well, he's um, he's scared of this guy, so he's he staying in my place right now because he doesn't want to call. Come on. Wow. Like, it's, yeah, well, it's just. Yeah. And the and the other thing too is that in cases where there's bad faith and and obviously depending on how this unfolds, there could be things done from the company or the owner's perspective that could actually result in some additional compensation being owed uh, your friend's way. So it's not to say that uh, you can't potentially in, in you sort of include that information or that evidence into a wrongful dismissal case, but um, technically, as far as criminal charges and all that go, then yeah, that'll definitely have to be handled uh, by a criminal well, lawyer. When I get home, I'll give him your number and I'll get him to call you. Yeah, Billy, it's a good move for sure. Absolutely. I, uh, I've told him I'm staying out of it. He can stay at my place, but that's it. I don't want to know anything. Hundred percent, of course. I'll. <laughs> Why would you? No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just give him a safe passage for the for the moment. Pass the phone number on to a man, and uh, I guess that's all you can do. That's the first time we've had that call. But hey, to quote Jack Nicholson from <laughs> Batman in 1989, "Never rub another man's rhubarb." Nothing good comes of that, especially yeah, in the workplace, right? Absolutely. Again, still yeah, got some yeah. time, you know. Uh, starting a new job, top thing to consider. Number two is this: consider whether you've been induced to leave a previous job, because that could be uh, that could be good on the on the back end too, if it ever comes to severance, right? Yeah, definitely something to consider. You know, a lot of, not a lot of people necessarily think about this, but when you're starting a new job, you know, the question will be, are you starting a new job um, having been unemployed beforehand or are you leaving an otherwise secure position with a former employer to start a new job? And, you know, oftentimes there can be a number of reasons that make complete sense as to why somebody would want to leave maybe one job and join another. Um, and it's not to say that there would be, you know, always this heavy sense of recruitment that goes on, but people need to be aware of the concept of inducement because when somebody leaves an otherwise secure position, especially one that they've been at for a long time, uh, and they end up joining a new company, maybe, maybe there's resistance, um, beforehand. They don't really want to leave, but after so many promises and so many assurances of long standing employment, of a bright future, you know, all this incentivization to get this person to leave when they're really reluctant to do so, if they end up leaving as a result of all this pressure and inducement from the new company and then end up losing their job shortly thereafter, um, a lot of times people may think, well, damn, I mean, I, I started this new job four months in, I got let go, I'm considered a four-month employee, so I'm probably only owed a week or two, right? And and the answer is no, not necessarily. If you're with another company for 10 years, you join a, you join a second company, you know, further to all this inducement that goes on, only to find yourself without a job shortly thereafter, um, there's an ability for you to potentially get severance as though you had been with that second employer for 10 years, not just four months. 
And then all of a sudden, instead of looking at you know, a lot less money, you could be looking at 12 months, 14 months, 16 months of severance um, when you thought maybe early on you might have only been entitled to a week or two. So uh, inducement's important. It does take normally quite a bit of inducement from the prospective employer to sort of qualify or meet that test. But again, if, if you're in a situation like that, and a lot of pressure is being put on you, a lot of promises are being made, mm-hmm. and that all falls through. Um, you just want to keep this in mind because your your entitlements could be a lot more significant than you initially thought. Still got a, a couple minutes to call in if you uh, you want, 416-870-6400. Point number three with this one, starting a new job, thing to consider. Confirm the scope of your job and what is expected, right? Yeah, and, and this may seem fairly straightforward, but even this morning I, I spoke with an individual who uh, phoned me up and after – about 10 years of employment, which had, for the most part, gone okay, uh, they find themselves in a position where the scope of their job or the nature of your job is changing. But the problem is, for the previous 10 years, there had been these little changes that had happened over the course of all those years to the job, and there was never any job description given. There was never any document clearly outlining what the responsibilities and, and duties of your job were. And it was just sort of a situation where that morphed over time. And, you know, you'd have some years where they were working 70 hours a week and then maybe another year where they're only working 50, but then they go back to 60 or 70 hours and then they think, oh, okay, well, how many hours am I expected to work now? And a lot of times that, as I say, can morph over time. I mean, if you don't have a clearly defined job description and you don't have a clear set of hours that you're expected to be working, and you just, as a matter of course, work 60 hours a week for five years, well, at some point, the employer is going to expect you to continue to do that, and it may be hard for you to push back. Um, so I, I just think it's always important to, in, in sort of your job uh, itself, in terms of what you're responsible for doing and what's expected of you, because you just want to be clear so that any time later on, if changes do happen, you can simply refer back to your job description or, or, or you know, sort of duties list. And then it's easier for you to sort of say, well, hold up a minute, I didn't agree or I didn't sign up to do that. So people just need to be mindful about making sure they're clear on the scope of their job. And if changes do happen during the course of their job, they need to consult a lawyer. Because over time, you could be just accepting little bits here, little bits there. And after after year 10, you've got a completely new job, totally. but it's harder for you to go back to what you used to have. Yeah. I want to switch over to a different topic. You know, we, and we talk about this, this, this term comes up all the time in the show when we're talking to callers and answering emails as termination for cause, right? Mm-hmm. What is it? Break it down for me, Chris. Yeah, and I again, this a very um, well-known concept to a lot of people. Uh, something I unfortunately see a lot in in my line of work in terms of employers alleging there's cause, at least, to terminate someone's employment. And a termination for cause, I mean, it's a terrible situation to be in. Um, usually, if you're being told there's termination for cause, uh, from the employer's perspective, you did something that's so bad. Uh, they can let you go without any severance whatsoever. And it's often referred to as the capital punishment of the employment law world because of how severe it is. And for that reason, um, there's usually a high bar to be met. And also, what happens when you lose that job and you're trying to explain to other employers what um, you know what happened with the with the previous one? You're, you're going to say you're let go for cause or they're going to find out you're let go for cause and then you're going to lose that job opportunity. But Essentially, it's just uh, an incident or a series of incidents that are very serious forms of misconduct. 
Um, uh, now, this could actually include, you know, performance-related issues, um, mm -hmm. but usually it's something serious. Um, as I say, an example of misconduct could be dishonesty, could be some sort of fundamental breach of the contract. And despite the company doing everything it could to work with that employee, despite whatever misconduct there was, there just simply is nothing more that employer can do, and then they go to just cause. But the right. problem is, again, that a lot of employers will jump the gun. They may uh, identify an incident of misconduct or an issue with someone's performance and then just quickly go from zero to 100 and say, oh, we have cause, and therefore we're going to let you go for cause and not give you any severance. And that's where a lot of employers kind of um, end up getting into uh, very sticky situations. Well, you mentioned the whole severance thing, and, and generally when it rises to a level of cause, you're let go for cause, and you don't get severance. Most people listening or have listened mm -hmm. to the show realize that by now. But is there a situation where you would still be owed severance, and if so, how much would it be? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, people just need to know that if they're facing an allegation of just cause, there's a very good chance that there isn't, in fact, just cause, that the allegation is there but the actual test in law has not been met. And it's not enough just to say you did something wrong, even if you did. In most of these cases, you're going to be owed severance. And so in that case, really what it ends up being is a termination without cause. And so if you're let go, whether it's with a cause or without cause, there's a very good chance you're owed severance. And depending on how long you've been there, what your age is, what your position is, what kind of work like what you had is available out there in the market, that's going to determine sort of what your severance entitlements are. And, and again, it's upwards of two years of severance, depending on the individual that we're talking about. If you're an employer, do you kind of follow the, you know, the, you know, the written three strike rule before you want to even think about letting someone go? Yeah, there's no exact science um, right. to how many times your employer has to sort of give you, I guess, a second chance or third chance. I mean, three strikes could be a general rule that you would follow. But it will come down to the actual allegation of misconduct. You know, uh, for example, you could be someone who's absent from work three times, but maybe two or three of those times it was related to some illness you had. And, you know, that's not going to be a, right. a three strikes in your out policy. On the other hand, you could be in a situation where you've been, you know, very dishonest with your employer. Maybe you've stolen from your employer. You've committed something very egregious. That may only uh, require one time. Um, so there's no set rule, but I still do find that employers will often jump the gun um, and not go through all the possible options before ending up with a termination for cause scenario. And so, again, you want to get legal advice in these scenarios and uh, make sure that your rights are fully protected and you're going after as much compensation as you're deserving of. And that would be it. You are free to do as you like for the remainder of the night. You want to reach out to Chris now, you can do so for sure. Here's how that happens. one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca as well. We'll catch you next time in the Employment Law Show.